Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you're interested in the thoughts of some of the finest minds in and around product management, why not pop over to the website onenightinproduct.com, bookmark it, subscribe to the mailing list, or go to the podcast app of your choice and subscribe there so that you can never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we'll be speaking about product leadership and building strong, effective product teams. We'll talk about how my guest had a desire to help at scale and move away from individual coaching to coaching product leaders. We'll find out how a desire for a practical leadership playbook made her go and write one of her own. We'll talk about some of the themes inside the book and how she uses diagrams to tell stories and whether she had to learn to draw to do it. We'll also talk about when all is said and done, when it's time to stay and try and make things better, and when it's time to just give up and find somewhere better. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Petra Villa. Petra is an introverted extrovert and product leadership consultant based between Hamburg and a tiny little island in the Baltic. She's the author of a new book, Strong Product People. And no, we're not talking about how much you can bench press. We're talking about building highly performing teams of product managers and product leaders. Petra hates people who always have to be right, so I can assure you any errors in this interview are just my way of bonding. Hi Petra, how are you tonight? (laughs) Wasn't bench pressing in a while. (laughs) Hi Jason, (laughs) thanks for inviting me. (laughs) No problem. So first things first, congratulations on the book. It's obviously been out a few weeks now. How's it been going? I'm assuming you're in a whirlwind of promotional activity, but how's how's the reception been? Yeah, thanks. It's exactly a month to the day. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. It, yeah, people are actually buying the book. That's the first cool news. And people, so at least the messages that arrive in my inbox are pretty positive. <laughs> so people are, and people that I know and people that I don't know, which is really nice, find the book helpful, already sending me like, oh, okay, I tried this concept with my team and it worked pretty well and I would love to do it more often and things like this. So this is pretty cool. Amazon reviews look uh, nice and promising so far. So that is that is really nice. And I was so overwhelmed by how helpful and caring the product community is. So many people have been sharing it and have been saying lovely things about it. So yeah, that was kind of the nicest thing at the first day so that everybody was so supportive. <laughs> yeah, I guess it makes it all worthwhile when you spend all that time writing a book as well to see it landing properly. Yeah, and, it and... takes a bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we go into that, let's have a little bit of a zoom back a little bit further into the past. You are a product leadership coach. You've been a product leadership coach for seven years or so, seven and a half mm-hmm. years or something like that. Yeah. So so how do you fill your days when you're not writing books? Like what sort of work are you involved in and, and what type of people are you working with? Currently, I'm mainly focusing on product leadership coaching. That has not been the case for all of the seven years. I'm now working as an independent product coach. I did a lot of product discovery coaching in the beginning, helping teams to understand discovery, helping them to really get into the right mindset and um, jumping on projects with them sometimes. I did a lot of interim head of product roles in the beginning. And then it slowly became more of a coaching thing, first coaching product managers in their current situation. A lot of in startups when 
there were there was no head of product around or the CEO was just not capable of <laughs> yeah helping his product managers with the product management trade things I tribe things I bet they didn't see it like that <laughs> and then um, yeah and then slowly it became more of a product leadership thing because I, I always had this kind of okay how can I scale because helping product managers in one-on-one -on -one coaching situations that helps some people <laughs> but it doesn't help at scale And I saw so many people to be in a self-progression desert in the product management career just because of product leaders didn't know how to approach development talks and one-on-ones in a proper way. So that's when I started to collect the things that I like to do in the coachings and that are super helpful for my coachings with product people. And that's why it became more of a leadership coaching thing now. And that's why I put most of the concepts that worked in my coachings um, in my book. So that was a very organic thing and you reacting to what you were seeing in the workplace and yeah. kind of just ha just happened naturally. Is that fair to say? Yeah, a transition over the seven years. So it's always like two years and then I see something else where I can move into where is another opportunity. Um, it's a bit of being my own startup, <laughs> trying my own thing. <laughs> You're your own product, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> But before that, you worked for a selection of companies mm. in a variety of different industries. So you started out actually as a developer. Yeah. Moved then into what looks like some form of product management role in SAP. Yes. Uh, which I imagine had the, probably some stories there. <laughs> But then after that, some other product type roles in a variety of other different types of company as well. So you've, you've, you've had a, a few different varied experiences in your time. What made you get into product management? In the first place. So again, you started out as a developer, but, mm. but what gave you the bug to actually start working on the product side of things? I actually think I worked in product before my role or title was called that way. So back then it was project management. That's how they called it or how we called it back then. And the transition was more of a, okay, we were a team of six developers back at the time and somebody needed to talk to the customer. And then my colleagues convinced me to do this because, hey, you are the one, you're actually great in communication and in your empathy is high. So can you please go and talk to the stakeholders and come back and bring some insights in? So that's how I more or less accidentally um, stumbled into a bit of user research and a bit of stakeholder management and ended up in a project management role. Yeah. And then I joined SAP as a technical consultant, actually. And it was a mixed role. I was still doing a bit of development back at that time but a lot of okay do we need to customize the sap system do you need to really dive deep into the code here or is it more a thing of can i talk to your employees and we figure out ways of working with the tool and working with the system so that was a pretty hybrid role i'd say and there i learned a lot about <laughs> serious manufacturing companies, I say. So in Germany, obviously, I worked for a lot of automotive companies and um, these type of companies, large corporates. Um, so that was more or less the things that I picked up at SAP. And then after that, you, yeah, you spent a few years doing, again, various different roles in various different companies, moving around, learning your trade. And after that, you decide, time to go freelancing, it's time to be a consultant. <laughs> what, um, what kicked that off? What inspired that? Actually, I had this feeling that that could be something I would like to do earlier on in my career. So actually, in my time at Zing, I thought about, okay, why is there, why are there no more freelance product people? Because there was a high demand of product people. And it was super hard at that time. There were no freelancers around, at least not in Germany. So I thought like, maybe this is a way to actually 
become my own boss, work a bit more on projects that I really like and that I want to work on. And yeah, see more because I always I'm a super curious person. So I like this joining different companies and different projects and different industries and different business cases. That's why I thought it might be a nice thing for me to do. But I had a chat with Marty over that back at the days when he was coaching me. And he said, like, maybe it's not a thing. So freelance product coaching is not a big thing. And years, years later, we figured out that it is not a thing in the US because they tend to hire people. And when they not longer need them, they tend to fire people in doubt. <laughs> and that's not how Germany works, right? So it's really hard to get, yeah, to get rid of employees once they joined your company. So here it's pretty common that you have a product manager interims-wise as a freelancer on your product for a year or something like this. So that's a pretty common thing. And it just took a bit of courage. And the startup was not going that well where um, I was working back then. And then I just decided the time is now. So just like jump and try see if that works. <laughs> and it did, luckily. Yeah, and I guess if it didn't work, you could just go and get a job somewhere else. Yeah, true. <laughs> there was a plan B. <laughs> Test and learn. But you've been working then with a bunch of different types of companies now as a consultant, and obviously loads of different leaders that you've been talking mm -hmm. about, the, the people that you're coaching. This has obviously given you a really good insight into the good, the bad, and the ugly of product management, I guess, and product companies and product leadership. But what made you decide to write a book about that? So there are not that many books out there for people leading product people. And I thought it's... Yeah, there is a niche and there need to be some more books about that because I really like the ones that are out there. All of them have, yeah, their, their small sweet spot. But I thought there is a workbook missing, something that is really hands-on and really helps the people to apply what all the thought leaders are preaching in their day-to-day -day lives, right? Because the struggle is real and it's not as easy as Uh, reading a blog post and then just go do it. <laughs> so what I tried with the book is helping to make this transition a bit easier. So the book contains a lot of just little thoughts and metaphors that could help you as a product leader to explain concepts and things to your product managers so that they can understand and run with it easier. Yeah, so it's a lot of this, okay, what is the, what is the ideal way of working? But what is the, yeah common way of working and how can we make this a bit nicer here and there yeah one thing i saw in the book which i thought was very interesting was quite a lot of diagrams as well so making it very visual and trying to make it easy for people to pick up and yeah and, and i guess draw their own versions of those diagrams yeah. to help them visualize what's going on that would be the best outcome ever and because i love drawing and i'm really i really believe in that it's a difference if you have a super nicely drawn powerpoint slide or if it's more like a handwriting I think people's brains do connect better to a handwritten sketch or illustration or something like this. They remember them better. So there's research about that, that they remember handwritten things better. And that's just the trick I use here. And I think it's valuable if the leader is able to just like throw an idea on a flip chart or on a whiteboard and explain some concepts way better than he may have been able um, before they read the book. So, yeah. And is your... Face-to-face -face training, obviously, when it's possible. Like, is your face to <laughs> is your face-to-face -face training very visual as well, or, or yeah, oh yeah, do you, vary it? <laughs> you can ask all my coaches. It's kind of Petra and all the illustrations. 
and I, <laughs> I really love drawing. I'm always, so if I'm in a room with a whiteboard, I'm always close to this whiteboard holding at least three pens in three different colors. <laughs> and I'm kind of an obsession with this kind of pens and what different pens you need uh, for which kind of drawings. <laughs> no, I really love to, to draw because I, yeah, it helps me think and it helps me to illustrate how concepts look in my head. And then it helps other people to see, ah, do they agree? Don't they agree? Because as soon as you put something in written form, so there are a lot of people love the narrative form of ideas as well. That's, that's fine. I'm just a faster uh, drawer. So. But did you, when you started out of this stuff, did you decide, hang on a minute, if I'm going to be training and drawing when I'm training, I need to go and take art classes as well? Or have you always been quite good at drawing yourself? Because I'm terrible at drawing. <laughs> But it, but it's not it's not that it needs to be nice and shiny and it just like yeah an illustration sometimes does its job even if it's super ugly. Um, no, I picked it up I think at Zing because some colleagues actually were already doing it and practicing it a bit. And then we had a super small workshop where they just showed us like vocabulary of thirty things to draw that you use a lot in the business context. So how to draw an email, for example. And then we drew little envelopes, obviously. <laughs> and that helped me to get going. And I was a visual person always. So even during university, I did a lot of Photoshop work and photography. So I'm a visual person anyways. Uh, my mom does a lot of arts. So maybe that's my form of arts, even if it's not that beautiful. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure that people will find it as beautiful as, as you do. It's practical, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Did you design the cover for the book yourself then, or did you get someone else to do that? More or less. Um, I designed an early version that was the one I was using in promo. But then at the end, I got the designer and do a proper version of it. But the idea was there, and that's my idea for the book cover. Yeah, so that's the, that's the beauty of self-publishing, right? You can des decide on all <laughs> these things. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no one there sitting there telling you what to do. That's right. So one discussion I've had recently with a couple of different product consultants, and it's something you've touched on a little bit yourself just now, mm. is how not everywhere is Silicon Valley. And lots of places seem to have quite different mindsets, maybe culturally, or at least work culturally, ways of working, maybe types of business that tend to work in those countries and lack of startup culture and, and stuff like that. Now, that's obviously not true in Germany, or at least in the big towns in Germany, yeah. but it is true in a lot of places. But of course, most of the books or many of the books that we see out there are all written by these Silicon Valley leaders and founders and stuff like that. Do you feel that, that your book, as a European yourself, gives a really European take on that? Or do you think that it's really hitting the same basic themes, but just explaining them in a more practical way? Ooh. This is such a hard question because I'm so immersed in all this... <laughs> product com global product community so that it's really hard to differentiate and obviously Mati has been coaching me so I'm yeah I, I believe in a lot of the concepts he's teaching and talking about and um, that's what I applied when I was a product manager that's the things I tried and saw working so first order learning here um, and that's why I believe <laughs> in most of the concepts still and uh, what I'm teaching is a lot of these things is there a European? <laughs> yeah, that's really hard to say. I don't know. Maybe that's something other people need 
to tell. <laughs> and because I don't, I don't think it's particularly German or European focus. Nope. So, so you're very much uh, extending the same classic product management school of ideas, but just giving out your spin and, and as you say, making it much more practical and giving the playbook. Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, there is a strong, so so all the coaches that have worked with me or people that know me, they really say like, okay, there is a lot of Petra in this book. It's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot of my way of doing things. It's a lot of my way of approaching things. It's maybe, so my way of coaching is not preaching how it should be and what's the ideal way of doing things. I'm more like looking at where this person stands and the company stands. And if we can approve this by 5%, that would be already great achievement, right? So I'm more like a super pragmatic, practical person when it comes to coaching. There are some things, some ideals that I really believe in. And, I don't, and that's, that's where I'm not flexible. But on most of the other things, I'm a bit of, okay, how are you you're naming your product roles? What's the responsibilities in the teams? Tell me about it. And then let's see how we can improve your current situation. What are your goals? as a company or as a product organization, were your biggest problems and challenges? And then I try to take it from there. And I think that's what in the book as well, so that it's a rather practical book. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the whole cliche around like not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. Right? So wanting to, to make some change. And I think the way I tried to phrase it recently was better's better than not better. Which <laughs> I'm not that. sure it's quite as maybe I quote you on that. <laughs> yeah, not quite as quotable, and probably someone else. I probably just copied it from someone else. But it's that whole thing. I think it is very. I mean, you see it a lot when you're looking on forums and talking to people. Like lots of people get very dispirited because yeah, they've they've read inspired or they've read empowered or they you know, maybe they've read your book or any of the other books that are out there, and they see all these ideas and they think that if they're not doing all of those things all at once then they've failed or that the or, or that the company's failed and, yeah. and stuff like that. And obviously, the way I put it as well is there, there has to be a goal and, a, and like a direction that you want to go and like a, an ideal to strive for. But if you don't get there tomorrow, it's probably still okay as long as you're moving approximately in the right direction. Yeah, and sometimes it takes years for you to get to this ideal version of product manager you're having. And hopefully you get to to competence level first, so everybody would call you a competent product manager. But still, then there is so many things that you could still learn and improve, and it takes years. So it's a longer journey. And sometimes if I do coach people, the coaching might not even have an effect to the big company environment immediately. So maybe they're influenced, but then maybe they're influencing the next company they're working for in a much better way or something like this, right? So it's a journey. It's really like a self-progression journey and coaching is as well. It's not a, we're having two coaching sessions and you're a completely different person coming out of the coaching, right? So, yeah. <laughs> now that, that would be some coaching. Yeah, that would be a good skill to have maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot in the book and I don't want to ruin the fun for all of the people that haven't read it yet. So... We won't go through it all, but I would like to maybe talk about a few of the, the key themes. So one of the, the first things you touch on in the book is spending some time defining what product management is, what product managers are, what product leaders are. And again, if we go back to what we just spoke about, that isn't always obvious to a lot of people and to a lot of companies. And I think that a lot of the frustrations that product people 
tend to see is because of that mismatch. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's quite a lot of product people out there that know or think they know what a product person is, but then that clashes into the, the reality of the the leadership of the company or potentially the leadership of the team if that wasn't a product person who's maybe just been parachuted in or whatever else. So obviously you can work with the product leaders and the product managers, but how do you try to, or do you try to sell that message into the leaders of a company and, and actually try to bed in the idea that, that product thinking and proper product management is a thing that will be ultimately beneficial to them? Yes, if I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> That sometimes is not that easy because in some cases, really, the product manager or the product leader is actually the ones getting in contact and in touch and paying the coaching out of their training budget or something like this. And then already it is not that easy to talk to their manager, for example, right? But I try to influence the bigger environment as well if I'm invited in, I'd say, (laughs) (laughs) which is not always the case. In some companies, That's exactly why coaches are approaching me because they are stuck in this place where, okay, my product managers get it. The engineering team gets it because that usually is the case. Engineering gets it. Product management gets it. QA gets it. User research and design gets it if they're there. That's not the case in all companies, (laughs) I know, but but if they're there. Uh, And at some point they struggle with how to influence um, upper management, right? So that's a typical case for coaching and then we just see what we can do so can this product leader influence them on yeah on their own and that would be the ideal scenario right so i try not to jump in and interfere with the um, senior management (laughs) immediately but sometimes it makes sense to just yeah try to influence them a bit or send them to an empower training or something like this and just hear it from somebody uh, somebody different it's that's a nice tactic i have so that i'm working with the product leads, heads of product level, director level, and then maybe sending the other ones to somebody else so that it's just like two parties preaching the same message <laughs> to the same people. Um, that helped a lot um, yeah, to kind of breaking into product thinking a bit more for many companies. Yeah. Yeah, I think it can be quite tough sometimes, even if the message is the same. And I'm, I'm maybe thinking more about internal people, even if the message is the same, trying to sell it in a way that that they will believe versus sending them out to some highly paid semi-famous consultant or something like that and they can say exactly the same things but it just resonates more because that person looks successful (laughs) yeah that's true it just helps because of that's that's usually the case in something something that is necessary for some companies yeah but two years ago i would have said like that this is often the case that higher management or senior management needs to learn a bit more about product led and why this could be beneficial for companies i see a change there so currently i'm more approached by ceos or ctos or cpos that actually say like hey we understood that we need to become product led but help us to do this. How should we should we be doing this? So there is there's change coming, I'd say. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Uh, you also talk about being a good boss. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've pondered in my time is the lack of structured training. So this isn't obviously just a product thing. It's probably quite common to a lot of types of job in a lot of types of company, but it seems quite often that you'll find maybe the the best or the maybe the best spoken individual contributor just kind of gets bumped up, given a pat on the back, 
slight pay rise and told to go and do it. And there's no training or guidance for them to do that. They're just there. And that doesn't seem to me to be the sort of thing that's going to give necessarily a good result unless that person accidentally is a good manager. So what ways do you recommend or have you tried to bed in to try and transition people into leadership so that they can actually be effective bosses and actually run their teams in a way that is going to set them up for success? That really depends because there's so many ways how people actually end up in their first leadership role. Some really have the aspiration and really want to be become that person. These people usually read, at least for the 12 months before they are promoted, all the things that I can actually find on the internet about leadership. So they're usually well prepared theoretically. And then, as you were saying, sometimes it's just like patting the senior on the back and say like, hey, you won the prize. You're now a leader. <laughs> there is a study that shows like, in average, it takes a, pro a leader in general 10 years to get his first leadership training or her first leadership training. So that is a long time without any formal training. And I see this to be the case in many, many companies. But it applies for, yeah, for so many things, not only for becoming a leader, right? Product management training itself is more or less the same. So a lot of product managers these days get their trainings budget and that's it. And they're not even talking with their direct line manager about how they could spend this money and if it's maybe a better idea for them to start a podcast because you learn a ton if you start a podcast, <laughs> as you might uh, yeah, so, so I've heard. Uh, <laughs> so there's so many ways to learn new things. It's, it's first of all, and yeah, and great bosses would help you steer this journey and really help you to figure out, okay, is that new know-how I need to acquire and therefore it might be okay to take a training? Or is it a skill? Because to learn a new skill, you need to apply it and you need to inspect and adapt how it's going. And maybe you need your line manager to help you with this. Or do you just yeah, learn by sharing what you learn with others? I'm doing presentations internally is a nice thing. Or attending a training and then telling your colleagues what you learned. So there's so many things to learn something. And a great boss would help you to use all of these things to steer your journey into product leadership or product management. Yeah, the problem is that the boss whose job it is to do that probably also didn't get any training themselves. So it's like a, <laughs> yeah, that's true. a but, spiral. But there are easy things to start with, right? So for example, I always tell the people if they're into a leadership role, first of all, train your coaching muscle. So you don't need to tell the people what they should be doing. You just need to master the art of asking the right question at the right time. Just I know it needs a bit of practice, but it's more of a, okay, help them be there, guide them a bit, have an, bring in another idea, another perspective. So these are the things you should be capable of. And then your employees are usually grown-ups and adults. And if you're just pairing with them, they're having ideas on how they could be actually learning new things or something like this. And then one important thing is follow up. So really ask them if they need the nudging and how often you should remind them about their training and about their learning. So that's that's an important thing. I will actually, I need to write a blog post about the follow-up thing. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. They're inspiring you with your, own, with your own thoughts. But it's interesting because obviously in that last answer, you, you referred to the, the product leader as a he and then also and her or, or her. And that touches on another thing that I know that you and I discussed before this call around diversity and uh, women in tech and women in product. 
Now, it's no secret that there's there are far more men in product leadership and indeed all leadership, but product leadership positions. And there's all these cliches as well that you that you hear or these kind of stories that you see that women that try to put themselves forward into those positions are, are judged very negatively as well because traits that are seen as desirable in men are seen as maybe less desirable in women, are seen as pushy or mm. aggressive or whatever else. Now, do you think that that is something that's getting better across what you've seen? Or do you feel that that's just as bad as it's always been and that we really need to shake things up to get that to be better? I think it does because of more and more companies are desirable environments for women and not only women, but for more diverse product management culture and product management teams, right? So diversity on all, in all terms. There was a lot of dudism in the first companies that I was working. <laughs> so you really had to kind of be okay with all the engineering jokes going on. And it was kind of a rough environment. And more and more people and companies are sensitive to these topics. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why things are changing for the better, because if the environment already is a bit more open to whatever person wants to join the company... <laughs> then it's a much nicer environment to be there for, in this case, women. And they can find their way, they find their spot, they can yeah, live up to their full potential. Some companies really have great programs to help women. For example, I do coach a lot of women. I would say for me, it's a 50-50 thing because of a lot of companies are handing them some coaching budget and say like, look, maybe you need a female coach helping you with some of the topics. And that for sure helps. So it's for some women, it is easier to open up uh, when there is a woman on the other side of the screen as well. And we can discuss some of the topics. Um, so imposter syndrome is even bigger amongst women than it is amongst men, I'd say. Yeah. And then a lot of the ladies have this, oh, I have never been coding. Do I need to, to become a product manager? All these kind of doubts and questions. And then we just can talk through all of that. And look at the strengths because there's so empathy is a is a thing that a lot of women can bring to the table. Communication skills, curiosity is strong. So yeah, and maybe the HTML skills are not where they maybe should be, but <laughs> you still can become a great product person, I'd say. Yeah, I've never been convinced that the argument that product managers need to be able to code. I mean, I know that you see it in a lot of interviews, especially out in Silicon Valley, big tech companies and stuff like that. And obviously, it's nice to have an analytical mind and you know, be data yeah. smart and stuff like that. But and to be fair, I'm not 100% sure how much they actually have to be able to code, like really, really code versus kind of pseudocode and algorithmic thinking and stuff like that. But it still feels a bit unnecessary. And actually, what I've found, and you know, I'm a former developer myself, so I kind of sort of know how to code. And I, f I feel that there's always that temptation to try and specify <laughs> the solution or yeah. help out. And whilst that's obviously great and probably in a, in a really super early stage startup, that could be really handy yeah. because, you know, it's all, all hands to the pump. <laughs> At the same time, when you're in a slightly more mature product organization, you, you shouldn't be going anywhere near that, right? No. Yeah. You should back off more from this super detailed technical implementation questions. Yeah. And what I usually say, you need to be interested in these topics, right? If, if technology is something you find boring, then it's maybe not a good idea to become a digital product, product manager. But if technology is something you like and you're open to that and you still could 
it, I always send people that have never been coding to a um, how to code introduction training just that they get the idea of, okay, why it is bad to interrupt your engineer 20 times a day so that they experience this, oh, damn, I didn't find the semicolon to be missing for two hours because of two interruptions. So there are some things that are helpful if people try to head, wrap their head around coding and what matters and why it's hard to actually, <laughs> a hard job to have to be an engineer. But it's not that you need that you yeah need to know it in and out. Some SQL, for example, helps maybe if you need to do some data crunching and all these things. But if you have smart, curious product managers from whatever background, I always see them picking up these things pretty easily. Yeah, it's not rocket science these days. And you can do great things with no code and Google Docs and Forms. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's obviously the next movement, which is really interesting. And I've spoken to some people very excited about the possibilities that that puts in the hands of product managers. So definitely keeping an eye on that. Yeah. But obviously, as a former developer myself, I'm always kind of keen to at least, at the very least, get jQuery on. <laughs> but it's interesting because obviously you're talking about their collaborating with engineers. And there's obviously stuff in the book about collaborating across the company as well, which is probably, in fairness, a very large topic that we we probably need to do a different episode about, but <laughs> I guess the question is when an organization for whatever reason doesn't work, and I'm sure you've seen this more than once in your career when you've been coaching people, mm. and maybe the organization itself is very dysfunctional, it's just not ready for these ideas. Maybe there's too much politics, too many to and fro's between people, culture of blame, no psychological safety, oh, yeah. all of that stuff that we hear about all the time. Now, I guess that part of your job is to go and help people try and cope with that and give them strategies to, to fix that and, and help smooth that over. But there's got to be a point mm. where you just say to your, your coaches, just go. Go run. How, how long do you leave it before you get to that point? The thing is, I'm, I became more picky with the decision of what companies I do support. So I try to, for example, the psychological safety thing, that's usually something I can figure out before actually joining that company. If they value learning and if they value different ideas and different concepts and people speaking up and all these kind of things. So that is something that I tried to figure out in the beginning. And what I learned is that I explained that to whoever actually gets in contact with me first. That is, at least in 50% of the coachings, I'd say, a point where we come across. So there is, in, in all of the coaching, because a lot of the coaches I'm coaching for a year, more or less. So, yeah, every product manager knows once a year you have this moment in time where you think like, oh my God, I need to get out of here. And then there is a coaching <laughs> session tomorrow. So obviously you will talk about this with your coach. Yeah, so that's the conflict I had in the beginning because I was paid by the company and coaching this person and I really struggled with the decision, okay, how am I approaching this? But my answer to this is I'm coaching the person more than I'm actually, yeah, and I'm, I'm super upfront with this. I'm talking about this in the beginning before we actually signed the engagement that it can be the case that at some point we figure out that this company is no longer the perfect place for this person to be. What I'm not doing is tell the people, take your stuff and run. Because a great <laughs> coach just like sits there and listen, asking the right question. And at some point, the people come to the conclusion that they might want to leave this company. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of love it, change it or leave it. And I think 
not enough people are working hard enough on the change it part. So for some time, you really should go crazy about the change it part to an extent where you think like, maybe I will be fired tomorrow. If, I, if that's something I tell my boss, then maybe he will fire me. But there is nothing left to lose if the next status is leave anyhow, right? So that's usually an advice I give. Try harder on the change. Point out things three times. See if they stick. If they don't, then there is a point in time where you just like need to, to leave. I think a lot of product people spend too much time fixing broken companies and not doing the job that they actually want to do. And I think the world would be a better place if we are focusing more on creating inclusive products that are helping yeah, the world uh, solving the bigger problems and not so much fixing random companies somewhere. <laughs> I agree that there's a balance. You, know, you, that you can't just walk out yeah, at the first no. sign of trouble every single time. But yeah, at the same time, I see stories time and time again. You know, I'm reading about this stuff all the time, trying to you know, learn and, and gain uh, insights into how other types of companies work. And there are some where you just look at it and you go, yeah, that, that's not the place to go, go and find somewhere else. Yeah. Because everyone's going to be happier. So a key theme of the book is developing product teams, building product leaders, making sure product leaders build their teams. And um, all of the stuff that you then have to do to do that. So the coaching, obviously the more thoughtful hiring, defining what good looks like finding gaps and identifying weaknesses and, and helping to develop those and all that stuff. That all takes a lot of time. It's a, it's a big investment. And if you sat and spoke to any product leader or product manager in most of these companies, they'd all be saying, well, I'm already busy. <laughs> and obviously you get, the, you get the problem of the kind of urgent versus the yeah. important. Do you feel that it's time to make people development and team development more of an urgent problem that people have to handle? Well, I wrote a chapter about it <laughs> because there was actually one of the feedbacks I got um, from the early reviewers last summer that somebody said like exactly this thing, right? I'm already super busy. I like what you wrote, but it's already 27 chapters. <laughs> when should I apply all these things? And then I wrote chapter 28 about how to find the time. I think people development is an important thing, right? Because if every individual on your team becomes stronger, the team becomes stronger, your life as a product leader becomes way easier because they're more independent, empowered, can make better decisions, all these kind of things. So yes, it should be something you should be focusing on. And in the end, the amount, the, the time that you need to invest, that's not that much. So it's a bit of upfront work with really sitting down and reflecting on the, what do I think capable, competent product people need to do. That's something you need to do in the beginning. I call it defining your good in the book. But then it is more of, yeah, strengthening your coaching muscle, do, doing good one-on-ones, helping the people to find their next bigger challenge, so really assigning them to teams and problems um, that are yeah, helping them to come to the next stage. That's another thing. And that's more of a, okay, I just need to see the opportunities in my team and in my company and really need to have a vision for each and every product manager on my team. And creating this vision is not like a massive process. It's more of having meaningful conversations with them, see where they want to end up in their life and in their career, and then see how you can help them to get there. And 
if you are actually nailing this, then the reward is a really long lasting relationship with these people. And even if they might leave your company, you still always can rely on feedback or recommendations or can always go back to these people because if you really care for your employees, I think that is creating the, the environment most of the companies want to create, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they should want to create anyway. I assume you've got a lot more promotional stuff coming up and the, you know, the book promotion. And I think earlier you said you're doing hundreds of podcasts and, and all the rest. So <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> Two a week or something like that. Well, that, that can add up to 100 eventually. Uh, what's next on the Petra Villa machine? Are you uh, already planning your next book or are you just planning to go back to your, your quiet life on your island or, or somewhere in between? I would love to go back to uh, the island, but currently we're not allowed to. Oh. Hopefully this will change. <laughs> no, currently. So I'm still a bit in promotion mode. I'm still doing a lot of client work currently. So I'm pretty busy with helping more and more product leaders to use all the things that I was describing in the book planning a bit of book club. So that's currently a, a trial I'm currently running with two companies if it's a nice thing to do book clubs with the book. Yeah, and then plan a bit of touring product tanks and these kind of things. So there's one coming up in April, Product Tank Hamburg. So that's, for example, some of the things I do. And then I, I really want to do more on my blog. So I started to put a lot of the content that I have there for free. Maybe I should write something about the follow-up <laughs> and put it on there as well. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a lot about making more people to know um, the things that I already created. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the work continues. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's been a fantastic chat and obviously really interesting to get some of your expertise and hear a bit about your journey. So thanks very much for spending the time. Hopefully we can stay in touch. But for now, uh, thanks very much. Thank you, Jason. Loved it. That was fun. As ever, thanks for listening. I hope you found the interview interesting, inspiring, and educational. If you did, I'd love it if you could, again, go over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, or the podcast app of your choice, sign up, subscribe, rate, review, share, all of that good stuff. I'll be back soon with more inspiring content, but as for now, thank you and good night. <laughs>